everybody. Welcome back to another episode of You Haven't Seen That Podcast. I'm Isaac. I'm Elva. And this is a show where we cover movies on that growing list of films that has people asking asking us the question. I got this. You, you haven't, haven't seen, seen that? that? I'm a pro, okay? Uh, what, are we, what are we, like uh, 12 episodes in? 13, 12? 13? Around there. Look, I lost count because we took a little bit of uh, hiatus. And uh, thank you for everybody with the patience. Holidays were busy as hell. Yes. And editing is tricky. The last episode that came out, Breakfast Club. Correct. Yes. I edited that episode. So if the quality of the podcast was lesser than, I'm just kidding. My wife did a fantastic job. I'm really proud of you for that one. Thank you. I yeah. still think I didn't do a good job, but hey, we're there. No, I think you did an amazing job. I mean, I you know I had to kind of like be the... Um, what do you call that? The chief editor, mm-hmm. right? I kind of have the, well, I didn't necessarily have like the final cut, but you know, I gave like heavy suggestions and slightly to your chagrin. I'm kidding. You did really good. I followed my instinct and that was all I did. Your instincts were correct. So thank you for doing that. And it helps me kind of take a little bit of a break and it lets me work on the, uh, your fil- video reviews. Yeah. The film reviews. Cause I think since, the last time we recorded, which I think by now was like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. A little out of practice. Um, I think at that point, during the holidays, I had some time off and I was able to like learn the new video editor, Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. This is boring as hell to everybody. And everyone wants to know. Get it correct. Da yeah. Vinci what are we going to talk about? Da Vinci Resolve. I'm sorry. Da Vinci Resolve 17, I think. I don't know. I don't know, but it was uh, it's a very complicated, stupid freaking program that is wonderful, and I'm still kind of learning it, and that uh, is why I had you edit, and now we're going to kind of go back and forth on editing. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Anywho, enough of my jibber-jabber. Hi, darling. Hi. Welcome back to the couch. Hi, couch. I missed you. <laughs> All right. What movie are we covering? Beverly Hills Cop. Bust out your leg warmers, get your leather jackets, boop, boop. get your blue eyeshadow on, your pink lipstick. The shit's a banger. Do, you, do people say that's a banger? I don't think, no, I think it's you. Oh, come on, man. Uh, 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 uh. Beverly Hills Cop, 1984, came out December 5th. Correct, yeah. Obviously, this movie starring Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley. Yes. Uh, it's also co-starring Judge Reinhold and the female lead whose name it's so hard to pronounce, Lisa Eilbacher. I I would correct you if I knew how to pronounce it. I I'll I'll don't I don't know how to say it. And John Ashton. Ash- yeah, and there's Ashton? there's a few other people that are speckled through there. I don't think are well known nowadays, but back then they were they were a hit. Mm-hmm. I usually do this. I like to bring up what they were famous for at the time. Okay. Eddie Murphy had done the movie 48 Hours. Uh, I think it was like two years prior to that. Okay. And also did Trading Places, which was a year prior to that. Already, he was hot shit. He was, at the time of this movie, he's 23 years old. Excuse me? Young Eddie Murphy was a rock star right out the gate. An mm-hmm. SNL alum. I know what I was doing at 23. Subway? Yeah. Also co-starring Judge Reinhold, 
And at the time, he had started uh, in feature films like Stripes, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yes. Everyone knows him for that. Gremlins. Um, and he plays Detective Rosewood. And then Lisa uh, Albacher, Albacher. Sorry for mispronouncing that name. Seriously, we're terrible with this. Um, I only cited her for doing Officer and Gentleman. Mm. The one with Richard Gere. Yeah. And obviously, Freddie Murphy, like after that, he blew up. He did a million fucking movies. Now, I don't often focus too much on the director because I'm not uh, highly savvy on directors. Mm -hmm. But this was a really interesting one. So let's let's quickly get the who was going to play Axel Foley out of the way. Okay. Did you find out? Did you see who was going to play Axel Foley? There was two. Okay. Give me me the big one. Okay. Mickey Rourke. Okay. And then Sylvester Sylvester Stallone. So Sylvester Stallone. Mm Mm-hmm. He was already hired to do it. And then when he started reading the script, he's like, He rewrote it. Yeah, this, this isn't for me. And then well, he rewrote it to do uh, another movie after that. Yeah. So he kind of rewrote it to kind of give it more of like um, more of action, yeah, less comedy kind of feel to it. Well, he didn't know that it was going to be a comedy until he started to read this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mickey Rourke, he was um, the first pick mm-hmm. besides Sylvester Stallone. But he was paid four hundred thousand dollars, but because this script took forever to write, yeah. Uh, by the time that Mickey Rourke's contract was over, the negotiations failed for that, and he went to go move on to something else. Oh, shit, I actually didn't find that in my research. This is why you help with the research, FBI. I half-ass it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to cover, you know, all the scenes nah, and stuff. Got to go in deep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say it slow. <laughs> <laughs> But the the other interesting part about this, like I mentioned, the director, right? So yes, Fest Stallone, mm-hmm. he's going to play, and then you know uh, Eddie Murphy got hired on. But the director was originally going to be Martin Scorsese. Yes. So Martin Scorsese, the, the studio chose Scorsese to direct this. He didn't want to do it. He said that it was too much like a um, Clint Eastwood movie that he did. Um, that he didn't do, but it was a movie that Clint Eastwood did. Mm. I think is um, Coogan's Bluff. Okay. Yeah. He said it was too much like that movie and he didn't want to do this movie because of that. Really? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that it would have been a different movie. I've said it over and over. In a different world, Sylvester Stallone's being directed by Martin Scorsese. Oh, my God. So Scorsese tapped out of it. Didn't want to do it because of all those mm-hmm. reasons. And Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Yes, that Jerry Bruckheimer. Okay. Uh they did want Martin Brest to do it. Now, Martin Brest got fired from War Games, like mid-production of that movie. Okay. So he got fired from that and kind of had essentially like a stink on him. And he was he felt down about himself. He's like, ah, I don't know if I want to do They want me to do this movie, Beverly Hills Cop. I don't know if I want to do it. And essentially took the, the phone off the hook because they were calling him so much because they really wanted him to do it. And he kept saying he didn't want to do it. He repeatedly kept declining. Let fate decide by flipping a coin. And it decided in his favor. And he chose to do it thanks to that coin. And because thanks to that coin, he framed it. He has it framed in his house. Oh. And got the stink off of him. And ever since then, cranked out bangers like Scent of a Woman, Midnight Run, Meet Joe Black. The one we don't talk about, Gili. But prior to that, he had only done like... Uh, it was some George Burns movie. I think it was Going Out in Style or Going in Style in 1979. So he wasn't known for a lot. 
but thanks to this movie, became a big time director and, and cranked down some movies. He's also, I think, either produced or written for SNL. I didn't as well. know that. That makes a lot of sense because the pairing of Eddie Murphy and uh, Martin Brest is what's the word I'm looking for? It's like it's symbiotic. Mm-hmm. Because a little fun fact that we discovered is that this script was rewritten constantly. Took five years. No, 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 no. It was rewritten during filming because every time Eddie Murphy would improvise, it had to get rewritten yet again. And things changed because they liked what he was doing and mm-hmm. liked, which is a really unique thing because usually you have some moments, uh, you know, usually uh, an actor says their lines, they'll have like a couple of different takes on it. And, you know, then they'll, the director will let that actor do one for them. Okay. But Eddie Murphy being like a hot shit superstar did such a freaking good job. They're like, oh, let's, let's stick with that and let's rewrite and fit everything else around that. So again, this would have been a completely different movie without that, without them two, that pairing. Interesting. So uh, the budget for this movie mm-hmm. uh, was $13 million, with $4 million going to Eddie Murphy. Is that right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the box office was $316 million. That's what it made. I found that the opening, it, it made $15 mil on opening week. And so immediately got its money back. Immediately. We call that a success. Yes. Yeah. This movie did so good. Even before hitting the theaters, this movie did so good when uh, the Paramount execs saw it in their private screening mm-hmm. that they immediately... Signed on for a sequel. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't get that. But I do know that there's a, a total of three with the fourth one to be released this summer. There is no set date of when it's coming up, but it is going to be on Netflix. Yep. It's going to be called Beverly Hills Cop Axel F. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the trailer? I did not. I'm not a huge fan of uh, sequels after like 20 or 30 years, but we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Um well, you know my thing. I don't really watch trailers. I just kind of go in yeah. blind. It's just better for me. So, why haven't either of us seen this movie? Wait, wait, wait. I've seen this movie. Really? Yeah. Shit. I got caught. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that I hadn't seen this movie. Oh. So, I I remember having seen A Beverly Hills Cop. I didn't know that the one that I had seen was the one in the 90s, which was part three, the last one. Okay. And forever, I always thought like, oh, he just was a Detroit cop that transferred to Beverly Hills and then adventures ensue. I didn't know any of the storyline. I didn't know specifically this storyline and his origin and shit. Mm. It's been a while since I've seen it. So when I rewatched it with you, I was like, I forgot that that happened. Or I thought in my mind it was completely different. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, I know I watched this movie, but it was so many years since I watched it that. When I actually uh, finished, I was just like, oh, that makes much, so much more sense. And I want to give credit to your dad. Oh, So your, yeah. dad, your dad's been kicking it in here, uh, kicking it uh, with us for a little while. Mm-hmm. And one weekend he had Beverly Hills Cop on. And I was like, oh, I hadn't seen that. It just like sadly clicked in because mm-hmm. I thought that I'd seen it. And I wrote that down on the list and I looked at it and I was like, it's got to be our next movie, especially with Axel F coming out uh, in a oh, few yeah. months. Yeah. 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 I, fucking, I fucking loved this movie. I remember when you told me that while you were watching it with him. Yeah, I remember telling you that I've seen it and I was kind of shocked that you haven't. Because I feel like this would be something that at least your mom or somebody would have in the background. 
that's what I'm trying to say. I was really surprised by this too. And I felt, this was one of the few things where I actually felt ashamed. Shame. Well, but here's why. Like usually everything else I go, oh, I'll get around to it. This one I was like, I, I had some, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the Mandela effect where I thought that I had seen it. Okay. And some other multiverse I had seen it. You have. The only reason I remember I have seen this movie is because the song. That one? Yeah. And not because of the crazy frog. This one? Yeah. Oh my god. <sighs> okay, not because of that. That that came okay. on hold on, hold on. That came on later. <laughs> but <laughs> this song plays like at least a dozen times throughout the film. And by the second half of it, I was like, dude, could you stop? Because every time it would play. Here's Alva. Wait for it. Every single time. And I was trying to get down with this, but I I was like, oh, God, not again. I could only. I could only. <laughs> All I know is that, like, is that I used to do what kids back in the day did when they got their Casios and they mm -hmm. had the, you know, the setting on it is they would play this over and over, annoying their parents to death. Mom, oh. look, look what I can do, Mom. Look, hold on, I messed it up. Let me do it again. <laughs> uh, did you know that it took three synthesizers to make the song? Cool. That's, that was my fun fact of music today. All right, let's quit shitting around. Let's freaking do this. It opens up with that banger. And during it, you get a cool montage, a cool, and hard quotes, montage cool. of Detroit. Uh, um, while, while the whole montage was going on, I saw like a three brownstones towards the end after like the end of the montage. And I'm uh -huh. like, I bet people bought those. And they made them fancy, and it goes really high on rent. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thought. Dude, all I could think of, of like watching this was, what a shithole Detroit is. I don't remember a lot of the specifics with the montage, but I just kept thinking, God, what a shithole. I mean, in looking up some of the fun facts, I saw that um, the the director and like the camera crew were escorted by like police mm -hmm. or whomever, like security and shit. To uh, so they can film some like part of this montage stuff, and it's, I mean, it's kind of sad. Like the first couple minutes, it's, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous, but it was so dangerous that when they wanted to go past a certain area, their escorts were like, "No, we're not going with you." And they're like, "Okay." So the director and camera crew filmed those parts, like the the part of the montage where these little kids are uh, like drinking milk and it's spilling. Oh my god! Yeah, they filmed that unescorted. Did you like kind of notice that it was? Very quick. Re it was no, not really quick, but it was really um, like the I don't know how to say this without seeming offensive, but like the poorest part of the montage. Well, uh, as the whole montage was going, it was going through the factories, the old closed down factories, right. uh, empty buildings, the Ford factory, the inside of it. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of already got like a this is the vibe. This is where it's. It's showing the nitty gritty. Yeah, for sure. But like that that nail in the coffin or whatever to the nitty gritty. Like buildings are one thing, but to, to show the people. That was the thing. It showed the people of mm. Detroit. You're like, whoa. And uh, after that montage, we finally open up to Eddie Murphy. And you don't know who he is at the moment. You don't know that he's Axel Foley. Mm -hmm. You don't know that he's an undercover Detroit cop. 
you just know that that there's Eddie Murphy. He's trying to sell a truck full of uh, what were the Lucky Strikes, and and the business deal's going wrong. Mm-hmm. I think he was promised like five thousand dollars, and he's really playing it up. And he's like, I don't know, I'm 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 a businessman. Guys, tell me something, fellas, what's going on? Shit. I've been here too long. Talk to me. Yeah, just give us a minute, okay? No, I ain't got no more minutes. Here, check this out. I want you to see something. You can't get no cleaning in this here. Look here. He's a very popular cigarette with the children. You know what this is in here? You know what this is? This is a federal tax stamp. You can't beat that. You can't get no cleaning in that. Talk to me. Tell me something. So why don't you keep me going to business yourself? This is such a great fucking deal. I would, man, but I ain't from Detroit, you know, and I don't know nobody in town that can handle a job this big, but y'all supposed to got all the connections, you know? But tell me something, shit. I'm a businessman. I'm gonna sit down. Do what you wanna do. You're right, it ain't easy to get rid of this shit. I know, but see, I'm a businessman, you know. This is my thing. I'm doing business here. But then you quickly learn. That uh, Murphy's character, again, you don't know it's Foley, is a talker mm-hmm. and can talk his way out of fucking any situation. It's his superpower. Mm-hmm. And it comes back uh, to play a part multiple times throughout the film in, in ways that only Eddie Murphy can do it. Uh, when that scene was going on, for some reason, uh, because it's been so long since I watched this movie, I thought that that was something that happened later on in the movie. Got it. So I was like, this, is this a, and I questioned myself because yeah. I was like, I don't think I watched this movie. Now that I think about it, and as the movie progressed, I was like, no, you just remember things out of timeline. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the deal doesn't go down because Detroit PD mm-hmm. happens upon them in the alley, pulls up to them, and like Murphy and the whatever business guy is trying to uh, you know make the deal with are stopped in their tracks and- the cops don't know it's Axel. We don't know it's Axel Foley. Again, mm-hmm. we don't know he's an undercover cop. They don't even know. Which begs the question, later on, you kind of learn that he's built up a reputation for mm-hmm. being this young, rambunctious cop. Of all the people that didn't know him, those two guys that fucked up the whole deal didn't know him. And he, he immediately jumps into talking his way out of it. Hey, buddy, what you doing here? Oh, officer, you know what just happened a few minutes ago? You ain't gonna believe this shit. Check this out. The truck, it just stopped, man. It just stopped. You got some jumper cables, you give me a jump. Hey, uh, don't I know you from someplace? Nah, man, that ain't me. I'm from Buffalo. Both of you guys break out some ID. Let's get the fuck out of here! Fucking wonderful 80s car chase scenes. This driving scene, this chase sequence was awesome. Happening under the the song Neutron Dance. I didn't have that one loaded up, but that's a, also a fucking banger. It's the word of the day. Oh, shit. I always have those words of the banger. day. Banger. Yeah. Can I just like replace it with hit? You that can. was a jam. <laughs> okay. Can I do it over? Go ahead. Under the song Neutron Dance. Oh, I just keep wanting to say banger. What did I want? What was I going <laughs> to no, say? No, just leave it as that. <laughs> right. You want to say jam yeah. or hit. <laughs> slaps. <laughs> it slaps. And credit to the stunt team. Credit to the stunt guy who's playing Murphy's part, mm-hmm. who's swinging all over the place, holding up oh the chains. Oh, my God. Hugh Elva. Wee. I mean, it was beyond impressive. There's this truck. It seemed, I think I, I saw, I read that they uh, installed like a, an iron beam or whatever as the bumper and just plowed. I forgot what they called the truck, but they gave it a, a, a fun nickname. And it's just plowing through cars. I mean, there's so many different shots throughout that sequence. And you can kind of tell in some of those, the, the vehicles end up like crashing into the camera, but they cut right before mm-hmm. it does that. 
There's even uh, a fucking uh, metro bus like doing a 180. I thought it was going to go on the side. Dude, of all of the stunts, of all the cars doing the things and hopping the this and rolling the that, that bus doing a 180 was like the cherry on top of that. Usually it's usually something like that at the end of mm-hmm. a sequence. It was right at the top. And then all those cars getting just... Demolished. Oh, Demolished. that poor Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, that one got like the least damage, but the one that went to the tree... Uh, there was one that like got hit by the truck and then hit like two other cars that were parked. I was like, oh my it was God. it was a lot of demolition. What was it again? That was a fifteen million dollar budget. No, it was a thirteen thirteen million dollar budget. How much of that do you think went to the car chase scene or even that opening scene? I don't know, but those cars made me be like, I'm so happy for Airbud. What <laughs> What do you think their original budget was, and did they have to increase it to to uh, to pay for this shit? We'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, and then the trailer unhitches, and uh, the trailer that uh, Murphy's in comes to a halt. Mm-hmm. His fellow PD open up the back and yell, "Freeze, asshole!" And then they stop and they pause and they recognize him. And he looks. Like, he never says anything. He has a habit of not announcing himself. And then they say, "Holy, we should have known it." When he gives them that old 80s, you know, shrug and hey. grin and smirk and yeah. wink. You know, it paints that picture of who this character is. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the Detroit Police Department. And there's Paul Reiser. What a bit part. Jeffrey. Was it Jeffrey? Mm-hmm. He has like a few lines. He's trying to warn fully of... Uh, is he like his like partner? I think it's his partner. Yeah. yeah. And, and that relationship, it's... He like has his back, but it, he can't... You can't contain Foley. Mm-hmm. Foley's always going to do what Foley's going to do. Where are you going now? I'm going to go get my shit and get out of here. No, big mistake. Big mistake. You want my advice? No. You know no, what I would do if I was you? No, I don't. Go in there, talk to him, wait for me. Jeff. Send me right back. Jeff, get away from me. I'm going to shoot you, all right? No time and it's funny. Every little bit that, that Riser has, it's, it's fucking hilarious. It's Jeff. Bro, well, Jeffy, will you listen to me? So listen, all of you, we I can't am not listening you to you. I'm ignoring La, 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 la. I am not That's listening to Jeffrey, but he's still talking. I am not listening to you. I really hate when you do that. Then stop then, all right? childish. Is that fucking Foley in here? All right, there's Todd. It's showtime, okay? In walks in. Inspector Todd. Played by Gilbert R. Hill. A really cool fucking fun fact is... This guy wasn't an actor before. He actually was a Detroit detective. Oh. And then later on after this film, he went on to be uh, like the president Detroit City Council. Hmm. But little fun thing, throughout the movie, Foley has his gun tucked into his, the back of his waistband without a holster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilbert R. Hill, who plays Inspector, Inspector Todd, used to do that when he was on the job. Fucking careless. But Interesting. <laughs> well, it's- what 80s back then would be 80s 70s i don't give a like, shit like you you could still get a holster back then it was usually a leather holster it wasn't like a you know a, a tension kydex holster but mm-hmm. still that's extremely unsafe they usually carry usually carry revolvers although foley was carrying a, like a beretta or like a semi-automatic pistol and you learn that uh foley goes undercover often uh-huh. without permission because you're supposed to get permission from yeah. your your boss to go undercover In case they need to know what the hell is going on. Liability issues. Not only that, but it seems like uh, Foley also, from a previous bust, that's where he got the cigarettes. Mm -hmm. The mayor called the chief, the chief called the deputy chief, the deputy chief just chewed my ass out. You see, I don't have any bit of it left, don't you? 
Where in the fuck did you get a truckload of cigarettes from anyway? From the Dearborn hijack. From the Dearborn hijack? And that fucking bus went down last week. That truck is supposed to be in the damn pound. I don't know how long uh, Foley's actually been a detective. There's moments where they're about to say and they never say it. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any deeper research to learn that, but evidently he's a young cop. Um, but Inspector Todd says... No more of these setups, you understand? You're a good cop. You got great retention, but you don't know every fucking thing. The kid broke a shit ton of rules. And because he has great potential and he's a good cop, you're going to keep him around? Or does that speak more to his ability, to Foley's ability? Or does that speak more to how run down Detroit PD is? Uh, probably how run down it is. Right? Yeah. Boss, the chief ain't true at all out. You still got a little ass there. Being a smart ass. Cut to the outside of Foley's apartment. What does he drive? A Chevy Nova. A piece of shit, run down, blue. blue Chevy Nova. And as he comes up the stairs, uh, he sees that someone has broken into his house. Mm-hmm. Little plant they had here. Evidently, Foley is ambidextrous with his firearm. Oh. That's unique. That doesn't get a lot of notice, but that is unique. And his friend Mikey is at his table eating with the fridge open. Mikey's lucky that Foley recognized him immediately. Because oh, yeah. I think I would have shot first, asked questions later. Especially living in Detroit, especially being a Detroit detective. Yeah, because the apartment um, building that he pulled up to looked very rundown. And immediately we learn that Mikey's been out of jail for six months. Mm-hmm. Foley wonders why he hasn't visited him. Uh, he says he's been busy, that an old friend of theirs from back in the day, Jenny Summers, has been working out in Beverly Hills and she gave him a job. So they're all close. They hint at, but they never really cover unless I missed it what their growing up was like. When they went to the bar, Mikey says that he took the fall because they would steal cars. Yeah. So he would take the fall for Foley because I guess he saw something in Foley Hmm. and he didn't want him doing time. Was that something that he saw in him? Did he want it to be him? Because it got a little bromancy. Nothing against it. Nothing against it. But it got a little bromancy. A little bit, yeah. I mean, Mikey confesses. He was like, you know why I did it? Mm -hmm. No. Because I love you, man. He never said it back. He never said it back. But you learn that Mikey is a hoodlum. A hoodlum. He's he's a petty he's a petty thief. He tells Foley that uh, he found he happened upon some uh, some Deutschmarks. Oh, Barabons. So they go for drinks and then there's the whole uh, bar scene and you get to establish the relationship between Mikey and Foley, like we talked about before. Again, we learn more of their respective characteristics. Mikey throws his money away, loses it in a bet. And then like, as if like, hey, let's just like go down and steal a car. And Foley's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm a cop, man. Doesn't stop him or nothing like that because that's his bud. Mm-hmm. Buds don't rat buds out. That's when he says that he loves him. Mikey gets plastered. They go back to Foley's apartment. And, and you're enjoying, th- th- you don't know anything's wrong. Mm-hmm. You're enjoying this bromance. Again, I didn't know any part of this movie. And so it took me by surprise when uh, the henchmen, one of them played by Jonathan Banks, which everybody will be familiar, as Mike Ermentrout from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm. I was like, oh, it's that guy. But you're not familiar with him because you've never seen those shows. I have only gone to like season one of Breaking Bad. It's a great show. Very depressing, but it's a great show. I'll get to it. Um, And him and his henchmen knock out Foley and confront Mikey. Because he stole the bear bonds. Mm-hmm. A sniveling, petty thief. 
he thought he stole just enough that it wouldn't be noticed that something was missing. How how much of the bear bonds do you think he could have taken without it being noticed? Or do you think that that they were so meticulous that if even one was missing? Well, or do you think he just got greedy? Because he had a stack of them. Uh, I think he got greedy and took a little bit too much. But I also feel like Victor, I think Victor Maitland runs a very tight ship. Yeah. Or he, he, if anything, is slightly off. Of course off. he runs a tight ship. Have you seen his kimono? Where anything's like slightly off. Yeah. He's going to know. So I think even if it was a page or a couple or half of whatever, yeah. it, it would have been traced back to the latest hire. The one that went missing. Because he kind of left. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I got to say about stats. So we're not done with the hallway scene. Mm-mm. Snibbling thief. Mm-hmm. Zach makes Mikey feel like, hey, all right, it's not going to happen again. Just get the fuck out of here. I didn't expect at all the execution and the style of execution. He knocks Mikey to the floor, pulls his head back, and puts a gun to the back of his head and shoots him point blank. Oh, and it, yeah. it was fucking brutal. I think I even like gasped and I had my hand to my mouth. But at least. Clutched my pearls. <laughs> but at least he uh, did more than one. Shot more than one. Oh, he did, because didn't he? Yeah. he He's a professional. He has to make sure they're actually. Yeah. That's a professional. That, that, that's so important to paint who uh, Zach is. So we cut to the front. Foley's holding the back of his head and the police are there. Inspector Todd is talking with everyone and trying mm-hmm. to get everything in order. Foley wants to figure his friend's murder out. But Todd knows better because Foley's kind of blinded by this rage. And Todd knows like, look, this is a, it it is a professional hit. You're just going to go in feet first. You're going to get yourself killed. Mm -hmm. Todd really has Foley's best interest in mind. Yeah. Do you think Foley would have figured all of this out with Todd's permission without going to Beverly Hills? Because we're not, if you did it like legitimately, he wouldn't be sent to Beverly Hills. Mm-mm. No, but I feel like he wouldn't also give all the information that um, they were talking about. Like Jenny. I don't think he would have yeah. gave her up or mentioned her name. Yeah. So I feel like he had to go rogue. He had to go. Um, it's kind of like vigilante style. Yeah. Off the books. He, he knows how to quote unquote get around the warrants. Act first. Ask questions later. Yeah. And <laughs> fortunately, unfortunately, I suppose. You know, throughout this whole movie, he does things off book, right? Not mm-hmm. n- not by the book, and he gets results, which I'm curious to see how that plays out in like part two, three, and I guess part four. Yeah. But Foley is going to do what Foley's going to do. So he takes vacation. Todd says, don't do anything stupid. He's like, no, nah, I'm just taking vacation. It's just vacation. Cut to Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills in his beat up blue Chevy Nova. Chevy Nova. And he had like that classic... You know, cameras turned up to to watch all the the uh, palm trees of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a perfect montage of of Beverly Hills. You get the palm trees, you get the signs, the houses, Beverly Hills Hotel, Rodeo Drive, all the designer shops, Porsches, Rolls Royce. He even hits on a girl. Do you think he's got a lot of, lot of charm in his blue Chevy Nova, in his like fizz ed shirt and hoodie? The one that's cropped and like cut, <laughs> like it's not even. Um, I feel like he did because how the girl was just like, okay, yeah. hey, how are you doing? I feel like he has a like, confidence to pull. Oh, 
his character is all confidence mm-hmm. with a little sprinkling of some intelligence. Yeah. Because he, he is streetwise. He does know a bit more than like later on. He does know a bit more than like Taggart. Mm-hmm. He knows as much as the Beverly Hills um, Lieutenant Bogomil. But I think that also has to play because of he comes from Detroit. There's probably more crime. Oh, good point. That's actually a really, really good point. So in case anybody doesn't doesn't know, I do pass control. For the second half of, of me working pass control, I've been in Pasadena. Not a lot of challenges, run-of-the-mill spiders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. For the first half of my pass control career, I was doing some bad parts of L.A. You learn everything there. I wouldn't know jack shit if I didn't work those bad parts of L.A. All the rats and the roaches and the bad bugs. Oh, God. Anyways, enough of my rambling and my storytelling. We roll up with Foley at the Beverly Palm, which is played by the Millennium Biltmore Hotel, which also played the Sedgwick Hotel in the Ghostbusters, which (laughs) Eddie Murphy backed down for the role of Winston, which the role got taken by Ernie Hudson. Hmm. That would would have been a different movie as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. That bellhop's really cool. He's just like, you know, he's like, I'll take your bag. And Murphy just has this like rucksack of a bag. It looks like a laundry bag. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's carrying it with his, like. <laughs> but, like, Murphy asks him, like, oh, is this an expensive hotel? He's like, eh, not for not for Beverly Hills. But he doesn't dissuade him. No. He doesn't really, like, you know, look down his nose at him. Yeah, no. And what's Eddie Murphy's superpower? Sorry, what's Axel Foley's superpower? Talking to people. Talk Not just talking to people, but, Persuading. like. Persuading. Yes. Getting his way. Of course there's, there's like, not going to be any reservations at this hotel. Mm-mm. And he. Throws his weight around as a black man. So he does use race. They originally worked, they didn't write that in there, but uh, this is one of Murphy's many improvs. Mm-hmm. And the director liked it, so he left it in there because it worked for the role. Um, because throughout the movie, Foley doesn't lean on race as a detective, but he used it for that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Don't you think I realize what's going on here, miss? Who do you think I am, huh? Don't you think I know that if I was some hot shot from out of town that pulled inside here and you guys made a reservation mistake, I'd be the first one to get a room and I'd be upstairs relaxing right now. But I'm not some hot shot from out of town. I'm a small reporter from Rolling Stone magazine that's in town to do an exclusive interview with Michael Jackson that's going to be picked up by every major magazine in the country. I was going to call the article, Michael Jackson is sitting on top of the world, but now I think I might as well just call it, Michael Jackson can sit on top of the world just as long as he doesn't sit in the Beverly Palm Hotel because there's no n- Excuse me, sir. It seems that we do have a, a last-minute cancellation. And like you can kind of tell, like he was like two thirty-five. Yeah, <laughs> but he can't. He can't. Uh, you know, show his hand, and mm-hmm. and he accepts it. There's a there's a quick part where he's he's walking down the sidewalk after he checks in and everything, and uh, he walks past two dudes dressed in like red leather, and then he like kind of leans over and laughs. That that's a nod of him mm-hmm. having done uh, delirious. If you guys have not seen Eddie Murphy's Delirious, where the fuck have you been? Foley makes his way to the art studio where Jenny Summers is. Mm-hmm. And the way that they hit it off, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I want to see a little bit of, of a prequel and whatever, however you're able to present it. Like, I wanted to see their upbringing. Yeah. Like, how does she get there to Beverly Hills yeah. as a, an arts Cause, dealer? Because I know um, later on in the movie, she... Um, Foley asked her, like, well, well, how did you get this job? How did and she was like, Well, Maitland. Maitland found me in a diner mm. and offered me that job. 
want to quickly, I don't want to <laughs> linger on it too much, but I want to quickly talk about Bronset Pinchette, I think his name is pronounced, who plays Serge, who was like the, her, uh, her assistant. Oh my God. He, he later uh, took on the role as Balky in Perfect Strangers, and he kind of used the line that he uses in this one. Yo, Serge, can you get my friend an um, espresso? You want a bit of lemon twist? Uh, yeah, sure, if it's no bother. No, don't be stupid. Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> don't be stupid. They were originally going to have like two people as the assistants, but they loved what he did as that character, that they whittled it down to just him. But the other guy kind of comes in. He's the guy who comments on. He's like, your shirt, close your shirt. Close your shirt. Don't be stupid. Lemon on espresso is really good. I don't want to see more of like his interaction with Murphy. Because mm-hmm. I felt like they were just like improving and playing. Well, the whole the whole movie is basically him improving some of the lines, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of enjoy because it gives it more of a um, it gives it a different feel where it's not. Um, oh, it's not it's not so scripted. It, like it's it feels a little bit more natural. And yes, and 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 the comedic lines aren't like here it is. I hope it translates well. You're right because when Foley and Serge, mm-hmm. Serge are going back and forth, and and uh, he's they're talking about like how much the art's worth, and he's like, oh, that's like. Whatever, ten thousand dollars or something. He goes, get the fuck out of here. He's like, no, don't get the fuck out of here. One hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. It's serious because it's very important. Base. Have you ever sold one of these? Sell it yesterday to a collector. Get the fuck no, out of here. Serious, I said it myself. <laughs> Axel Foley, what on earth are you doing here? How you doing? I'm fine. Hold a second, I'll be right down. Again, Jenny's adorable. I love the relationship that they have together, her and Foley. And they're kind of like playfully flirting. I wonder, it kind of makes me wonder, did they, you know, have a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a romantic past or maybe like a fling past? Because she mentions his little peach fuzz mustache and he tells her she filled out mm-hmm. and sits her down and immediately tells her that Mikey's dead. But she gives him a starting point, lets him know about Victor Maitland, that uh, Mikey was working for Maitland mm-hmm. as security for the warehouse. And so there's a lead, wants to check out the warehouse, but first wants to visit. Maitland. Yes. Was that a smart choice? Do you think Foley knew of Maitland's involvement? He couldn't have, right? I, I don't think he knew how big of a person this person, like he, Maitland was. Yeah. Until he got there and he got carried away by six guys. <laughs> Five guys. Five? Yeah. Oh, I counted that one. I, for whatever reason, I like wanted to specifically know the amount of guys it takes to drag someone like Foley out of, a, of an office. For some reason, I thought it was six, but maybe <laughs> I counted somebody else. Hey, whatever your dreams yeah. desire, dear. It's six. So, yeah, we cut to uh, Maitland's office, and Foley's delivering the flowers. Again, I love these little bits, you know, where uh, Foley talks his way through these scenarios mm-hmm. to get where he needs to get to. And what song is playing? Because Foley's on the job. Don't I'm- do it. <laughs> have, I was having a little dance party. No, please. I didn't need the music to be cut off. I'm telling you, every single time you were dancing. Hi. Oh, hi. Have a delivery for Victor Maitland? Oh, I'll take it right upstairs to him. Or maybe I should give it to him myself. Uh, well, deliveries are supposed to be left on my desk. Yeah, but he has to get these flowers. It's imperative. I'm going to go up myself, all right? Well, you're not really supposed to go up. Yeah, but floral delivery is my life. I have to take it up. Thank you. Who let you in here? I let myself in. How you doing? I noted that Victor Maitland was villain AF in a kimono with a tan 
and his cropped Caesar haircut. His gray eyes. So do you want to know? Did I mention the kimono? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I put him down in my notes as a two-tan Russian mob dude. Was he Russian? I got German. Like vibe. I thought it was Russian. Well, well, I don't know. Either way, two-tan mob dude. Yeah, two-tan. Two-damn-tan. Well, I mean, it's Beverly Hills. Of course, you're going to be tan, so. Yeah. Foley kind of shows his hand. I think he could have gotten further without, definitely with less trouble, without introducing himself but again he like you said he didn't know how involved maitland was Mm -hmm. and subsequently gets thrown out by how many men six five through the fucking window too which was completely unnecessary that's your boss's window you're gonna have to pay for that five six guys (laughs) but full but sorry i laughed too much through these because it's hilarious like throughout this whole movie there's so many scenes that are like very tense and then broken by little bits of levity Like, good. He got thrown off out through the glass, and then I know where he just sits up. He's like, "Huh, huh." <laughs> That's exactly it. He's like, "Look at this shit." <laughs> but at the same time, right, like a second later, he doesn't even have time to like stand up. Nope. Beverly Hills PD like literally drive up onto the walkway. I can describe all of them. Please move to the side of the car and put your hands on the... But they don't know he's PD. He's just this, like, you know, slummy-looking black dude. That's where, I think, race sort of leans leans into it a bit. He doesn't announce himself. They recover his concealed weapon. And then he... Right then, he should have been like, I'm a cop. Why do you think Foley doesn't tell them? Because I think that... Because he he knows... Sorry, he knows that if he's not going to start a fight, like, he's going to be fine. He's not going to get shot down. I think he doesn't tell them because he's in front of that building and they may still be mm. watching. So he only has a gun. He doesn't say anything else. Interesting. So I think in a way he's trying to make sure that he fools Maitland's guys so they report back to Maitland. But at the same time, it's like, I can't really do much because I'm here on quote unquote vacation. Oh, okay. They're driving him to the police station. <laughs> yeah. And what are they playing again? It's like commenting on how nice the car is and when he's in the cell. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. Officers, have we seen any, like, um, movie stars? Could y'all stop and point them out to me? i never seen no shit like that. That's enough talking, pal. Okay, that's cool. It's about time. I thought you guys forgot I was down here. I was getting hungry. I've never been in no cell that had a phone in it. Can I stay for a while? Because I ordered some pizza. When they arrive outside, they're like, this is a police station? It's so... Even I was like, architecturally, it's amazing. Yeah, it's nice. I even wrote it correctly because I had problems writing architecturally. <laughs> it's very impressive. Did you have more to that? No, that oh, was okay, it. I was you, were, just... <laughs> you were looking at notes as if you had more to that. No. Your, your, <laughs> your mannerisms throw me <laughs> off sometimes. All right, all right, let's get back on track. And then the inside of it, though. So Beverly Hills was not going to let them actually shoot in their, their actual mm-hmm. police station. And so what does Martin Brest do? Make it into a Star Trek Enterprise. Right. So what he ended up doing was, so because he got fired off of war games, right? Mm-hmm. That has to do with NATO. Yeah. He had all this concept design that he created. 
And he's like, well, I'm not going to let that go to waste. And so made uh, the Beverly Hills department uh, look like some sort of private security NATO looking stuff with like satellite position, which by the way, GPS didn't exist at the time. Mm-mm. And so all this shit was before it was even invented and it looked clean and fancy as hell. I would not want to fart in there. I was waiting for Spock <laughs> to come out. <laughs> and now we get to meet Taggart mm-hmm. played by John Ashton and detective Rosewood. Billy Rosewood played by judge Reinhold and Taggart chews him out and he fucking punches him. But he punches him because Foley doesn't back down. That's who Foley is. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, man, if you're going to square up, you know, blah, 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 and gets punched. But the Beverly Hills Lieutenant Bogomil mm-hmm. is a man who plays it by the book. Do you wish to file charges against Sergeant Taggart? And Foley's so thrown off by that. This is some kind of joke, right? Do you wish to file charges against this officer for assault? Look, where I'm from, cops don't file charges against other cops. No, I don't want to do that. Well, in Beverly Hills, we go strictly by the book. By the way, Taggart's pissed that, like, why didn't he announce himself, right? And he Mm -hmm. sort of hems and haws. He doesn't want to let them know what he's actually working on. Because he doesn't trust these guys. You know, I think think that's, like, carried over from being in in Detroit. You just don't trust anybody. Yeah. Jenny bails him out, wearing her really cool blue leather jacket. Mm -hmm. Very 80s. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, that was, I think that was, like, the most 80s thing out of, all of it, minus the music. <laughs> Gotta stop with that. With the what is it? The the capri blue pants and the blue jacket and yeah. the puffed up hair. <laughs> and she even tells him that that he looks like a, hud, a hoodlum. Yeah, a hoodlum. A hoodlum. He, by the way, Foley's so impressed by the car she has. What is it? Like a Mercedes? Mm-hmm. This, this like cherry red, Oof. gorgeous convertible Mercedes. And she remembers, she comments that he, she remembers him driving the, a shitty blue Chevy Nova. Is this your car? Oh no, in Beverly Hills, we just take whichever car's closest. I remember you used to drive that crappy blue Chevy Nova. <laughs> <laughs> what are you driving now? Same crappy blue Chevy Nova. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's too late for me to study art? Yeah, I do. <laughs> she gives him a little backstory that Maitland is, has been a successful and famous art dealer for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So think about this. Maitland's been doing this shit for 10 years. By, by this shit, I mean running, you know, the Barabons and, and drugs, you'd later find out. Yeah. Successfully. And then here comes Foley screwing it all up. What are you looking back there for? The cops, they're following him. Where? In the back on the right. Page Ford. And nothing gets by Foley. Like, he can fuck around, but he's always on the job, and he spots the tail. He spots Rosewood and Taggart behind mm-hmm. him. Now we're back at the hotel, him and Jenny. No hanky-panky going on. Immediately, he orders some... Uh, room service. Some room service. To be delivered to the car across the street. What a what a Foley touch. With, of course, can't get enough of it. I fucking love Judge Judge Reinhold as Billy. Mm-hmm. He's so sweet, which is very op very opposite to Taggart, which is the whole idea. Taggart is a sergeant; he's been on the job for years, and Billy, I don't know how long he's actually been on the job, but I, he's green. I feel like he just got promoted to detective or something because the oh. way the way that they treat him is very like rookie ish, very new, very yeah. green. Yeah. yeah, and and I love their chemistry, like the way that. John Ashton and Judge Reinhold are. Mm-hmm. 
little side note, they put um, Judge uh, Reinhold and John Ashton mm -hmm. in a room together and they just told him to like improvise, see if they vibed, if they like had a connection. Yeah. They had to improvise and, and they liked them so much because they just, well, specifically, they, they, they improv this the the bit that they use later where, when they're sitting on the stakeout. Wow. You know, it says here that by the time the average American is 50, he's got five pounds of undigested red meat in his bowels. Why are you telling me this? What makes you think I have any interest in that at all? Well, you eat a lot of red meat. Because chemistry with actors... It's very... Extremely important. Mm-hmm. And a surprise cameo, although he wasn't big at the time, so it's not technically a cameo, but like Damien Wayans pops up as, I think he was uh, credited as the banana boy. Yeah. All I need is a couple of bananas. Shh. Go ahead. Take those bananas. They originally wanted to put, uh, have Foley stuff a potato in the tailpipe, but I think they, something about like, they couldn't establish a scene where he would get a potato. It was mm -hmm. just like, I think out of the schedule and whatever. So they needed something that was just lying around and that would be bananas. Three, but was it more than one banana, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It was all three. <laughs> hey, comment down in the comment section. How many bananas stuff you can stuff in your tailpipe? <laughs> just a dead look from Albert. Right and because I'm not editing this episode, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's going to stay. <laughs> To make sure you get the emoji <laughs> of a frog. Oh no. <laughs> I gotta quit fucking around. And we all know this scene stuff's a tailpipe, car shits out. What the hell are you doing? By the way, that bellhop totally has Foley's back. He didn't ride him out at all. Oh yeah. So anyways, Jenny and Foley go check out Maitland's warehouse. Uh, <laughs> random little moment of uh, Foley being Foley and like copping a fill on statue. He's like, hey, what's up, baby? Oh, yeah. Then he opens up one of the crates. He finds a, the coffee grounds. He doesn't yet say to anyone what the coffee grounds are for. And Eddie Murphy's laugh. <laughs> <laughs> they see the henchmen unloading the bearer bonds. Mm -hmm. They go to follow them. Foley wants to drive, and then she she says, I seen you're driving. He's like, oh, shit, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I love the relationship between Foley and, and people he's close with. Now we're back at the Beverly Hills Police Department, HQ, NATO-looking mm -hmm. thing. And Rosewood, again, is so innocent. He can't lie. He doesn't know what to omit. Mm -hmm. When Bogomil's asking him point blank. Banana in your tailpipe. How could you not notice a man sticking a banana in your tailpipe? Well, he distracted us, sir. And how'd he do that? Well, he sent us a late supper, sir. See, this waiter comes over. Billy, he gets the point. He gets made fun of by, like, two senior detectives who give him a disguise with a nose on it. How quickly they had banana that made. Nose, I know. Where do you find that, by the way? I don't know. <laughs> I probably have it there. But I love what this little little bit sort of establishes that Billy does this. Because Taggart sort of pulls him along and says, come on, Billy, let's go. Summers drops Foley off at the, the bonded warehouse where mm -hmm. they follow those guys, um, the international rival area. And there's no way she's going to go in with them. Like, it's just too fucking dangerous. Yeah. So she drives off. He tells her to. Climbs a fence, snooping around, gets spotted by the security, and immediately turns it on. 
grinning, wide-eyed, and plays it up because that's his superpower. No matter what situation he's in, mostly, he's able to talk his way out of it and gets what he needs to get and plays a security guard and plays the he's rest. A customs. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's yeah. a... Um, Inspector or something. I don't know what he what exactly he said, but it's something with customs. Because where, where the warehouse is, it's, it's uh, where they um, store the those crates before customs. They have to check it with customs. That's right. And he never lets them get a word, word in edgewise. You know, he just keeps berating them, tells them. Uh, he uses he, another moment. He uses his race, tells them about their low security that he does this to sort of like audit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wants to check the crates, starting with slap this one. And that's the one that he followed the guys with. And and by the way, we keep cutting back and forth. I forgot to mention this. We keep cutting back and forth to, to Rose and Taggart, uh, Rosewood and Taggart mm-hmm. on the stakeout. But I love how how Foley is like just throwing things because then it goes to like back to him getting documents and yeah. stuff. And they're like, no, don't worry. We got it. We got because he's just flashing a badge, mm-hmm. which is just the oh, the only time he'll use is like actual badge. Yeah, to be but like, doesn't give him a chance to read no. it. And they're like, no, no worries. Whatever you need, we'll get it to you. Well, one wise ass is mm-hmm. like, do you have a warrant for this? And he's like, you know, you have a very big mouth, sir. Are you hiding something from me? Is that what you're doing? I bet you that is your Porsche that's parked outside, isn't it? Isn't that your Porsche? Is it? How would you like for me to have the IRS come down here and crawl up your fucking ass with a microscope? Because they'll do it. I've seen them do it. It's not a pretty sight. I want you to know something, pal. And I want all of y'all to know something. I can have 25 agents down here in 15 minutes to march in here, snatch your bond from underneath you, and you guys will be out of business permanently if I don't get some cooperation. Is that understood? Don't get upset, Inspector. We'll give you everything you need. Right, guys? Everything you need. That's not my Porsche, no, sir. I don't know whose it is. Well, you ain't got nothing to worry about then. I don't know what y'all think I am. Take me for some kind of fool. Hurry up, quicker. Back to Rosewood and Taggart on the stakeout. And Foley jumps into the back of yeah. their, their car. He does apologize about the banana. He, he really didn't mean to... to cause trouble and then to they them. Let, yeah, because they let him know that, that they got docked two days pay. And he's like, he feels, he feels really bad for that. Because he does, he is looking out for his fellow... Uh, detectives so he offers to buy them drinks but they don't want to drink on the job we don't drink on duty okay fine all right listen to me i found the perfect place i saw it on the way over here today it's perfect for you guys you can go it's very conservative and you guys will love it don't worry it's nice trust me cut to titties But Billy's like, ooh, like a kid <laughs> in a candy store. By the way, that song that's playing, Nasty Girl, written by Brent, by the way, was the choice of, the, I think, that actual, like, when that scene opens and it's a mm. topless dancer. She is actually a dancer, and that is actually the song she dances to. Oh, cool. <laughs> Little stripper fun facts. Foley shows Taggart the coffee grounds. Taggart doesn't know what the hell he's talking about with coffee grounds. Mm-hmm. But I love how Foley is always like his head is on a swivel. Always. By the way, in this scene, because this movie takes place in July, they actually shot it in August. And they said that this shoot was like really tough. Everybody was like sluggish and stuff like that. No, no. Eddie Murphy doesn't actually drink caffeine. And any moments that he's drinking even a couple sips of coffee in the scenes where he's a little bit more amped up, a little bit more Mm -hmm. hyper, that's because he actually took some sips of coffee so the following scene after this yeah. whole thing the super cop scene mm-hmm. um 
they have too many takes, so many takes, that he was, I think, visibly just like very tired. And the crew did were like, here, he refused to take any kind of drug, mm-hmm. including caffeine. Back in the strip club. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to figure out their own shit. And then there happens to walk in these two assholes in trench coats because it's July, a little bit suspicious. Just trying to rob a place. Yeah. And Foley is the super cop because he notices this. And Taggart still has Foley on his shit list. Mm -hmm. Foley's just this like rogue cop. And Taggart plays things by the books. He doesn't like what Foley's doing. Mm -hmm. And so it was like begrudgingly going along with this because Foley's right. And Taggart doesn't want him to be right. Yeah. So when Foley tells him, do you see those two guys? Foley's still dancing. Oh. He's still shimming and shaking. Foley is me. Yeah, dancing in any little I occasion. Love- but but his face, seriousness. In danger, I'd probably still be dancing. Be like, what's going on? <laughs> but but uh, that seriousness Taggart sees on Foley's face. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, this guy's all about business. Yeah. That was the moment that changed Taggart's perspective on Foley. Because he noticed that something that he missed. And I felt like in that in that moment, he was like, oh, crap, I need to step up my game a bit. I could still let loose a little bit, yeah. but still do my job. But Taggart will never be Foley because he's never going to pull off the thing that Foley does next. Mm-mm. Taggart, Rosewood, and Foley successfully dispatched those two armed mm-hmm. men. Who the fuck robs a strip club? Was that the goal of those two guys? They yeah. look nervous. It seems like their first time. I, and I think the strip club was a perfect place because like everyone's distracted by the dancers. I want to see in some like parallel Quentin Tarantino universe, they have the same conversation that like Pumpkin and Honey Bunny have about like, what about robbing a restaurant? They probably thought had that same conversation when what about robbing a strip club? You're literally you're walking in with their their pants down, which is not a bad idea, except Foley was there. Fast forward, Foley's telling the super cop story. Mm-hmm. Sir, before you chastise these two officers, I think it's something you should know. The only reason that they were at a strip bar is because they were tailing me and I went to this place. Now these two officers were sitting outside wondering what I was doing. I wasn't having a good time. I'm into things like that. Anyway. These guys waited outside, and the only reason that they came in was because they saw two suspicious-looking gentlemen with bulges in their jackets going into the place. Well, it turns out that these guys were going to commit a robbery, sir. These men watched them, waited for them to make their move, and then they foiled a crime. I did not know what was going on. I was watching the show having fun. I'm still freaked out by it. You must have a sixth census. I don't know what you teach these fellows, but they're not just regular cops, okay? They're super cops. And the only thing missing on these guys are capes. I think Bogomil really was believing in it. And Foley says exactly that. But much to Taggart and Rosewood's credit, they are honorable men. Mm-hmm. And they don't lie. They can't lie to the boss. That is such an important bit right there. It's such an important part. Throughout the entirety of the movie, 
Bogomil, Taggart, and Rosewood never lie to one another. Mm-hmm. Do you think if if I were to say something along the lines and made up something to be like, no, no, this is, this is what happened, like, would you go along with it? Because I feel like you wouldn't go along with it. Well, I think that's different because it's me and you and we're married. Mm-hmm. Like, I got your back and you got mine. But if we were like detective partners? No, no, no. Like, I, like if we were in a situation where it's like, whatever, someone's like, well, what happened? And then I build up this whole grant because I know you're you're very much like an honest person. Yeah. And I'm over here folding it up. No. OK. OK. It would be different. It would be one thing if you like changed a little bit of the information. I'd be like, no, you're just forgetful. But if you like changed all of the story, I'd be like, OK, Alva's uh, I got it. I, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nod, nod. I got this. Oh, yeah. Alva, that's exactly what happened. Yep. OK, you better because. Yeah, no, I got it, Alba. You were taking a shower and a cat attacked your uh, naughty bits. And so you, you bled out for three hours and you had to call paramedics. But funny thing is, they didn't know where we were and couldn't get through the, the window. So they broke through. And uh, well, the second cat ran out. Right, Alba? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Why do you got to always go for that? Like, <laughs> like you got to keep us. <laughs> that's what doesn't make it believable. Would you have my back if I told that story? I would have to. <laughs> there you go. High five. <laughs> Tag and Rosewood get kicked off the case. Mm-hmm. Foster and McCade were the two cops that bullied Billy. Mm-hmm. Hard to say, bully Billy. They think they're hot shits and that they can handle this. Mm-hmm. And Axel pulls the same gag on the new detectives. No banana, though. Meaning just the, the food. Yeah. They follow uh, Foley to Maitland's mm-hmm. house. <laughs> the part where... Axel makes fun of the black detective, which I think it's I think it's McCade. I'm not exactly sure. Is such a interesting moment that I don't know would get. I don't know if it would be done today, because the black detective is very like straight man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> it should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. See, that's more natural for us. You've been hanging out with this dude too long. Do you think they could have gotten like taken out without removing anything from the movie? Mm, I don't know, but the name was Foster. That was a black detective. Mm-hmm. Okay, fully being a pro, he has his snacks and drinks in the back of his car for a stakeout. But Maitland drives out, and so Foley follows along. Mm-hmm. He has to lose Foster and McCabe. Successfully does it. Under what song again? Again, every time it plays, an album would go. I got sick of it so fast. I would just roll my eyes. For um, for a second, this song was my ringtone when I first had a cell phone. Wow, you were cool. I had Sanford and Son. Really? <laughs> I did. I've never seen an episode. I just like the way it sounded. Oh, me, yeah, sure. Um, also, side note, I, I, I found the the name on the IMDb. It says exactly that line that he sa- tells them. Oh, the... Yeah, it's like, you're not going to fall for a banana and tailpipe. Should be more natural, brother. Should flow out. So Foley makes his way to brunch. Everyone's dressed fancy, and he's wearing sweater and jeans. Cut out. Sweater. Cue his fucking superpower. Oh my god, this is hilarious. Goes to the Mater D, 
turns it on once again. But what does he turn on this time? Gay character. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm looking for Victor Maitland. Victor Maitland, the gray-haired gentleman, very dark-skinned, Capricorn. Victor. Um, well, why don't you give me the message, and I'll take it to him. Okay, I guess I can do that. Um, tell Victor that Ramon, the fella he met about a week ago, tell him that um, Ramon went to the clinic today, and I find out that I have um, herpes simplex 10. Herpes simplex 10. <laughs> but it worked. It's, I think it's best that you tell him. I think that too. The The one thing I want to note about Eddie Murphy and his ability, as far as like an actor and a comedian, mm-hmm. he's able to pull from the comedian side where he's like, you know, kind of laughing silly or being loud and obnoxious where it needs to be. And then the moments where he means business is you see that sincerity mm-hmm. in those moments, in his eyes. So when he's walking up, you know, he's still fully. When he picks up a melon ball and kind of casually munches on it, what does he tell Victor? Hi, Victor. I'm back. Like, Guess who's back? Like, that's the confidence that this detective has. Back again. Foley's back. <laughs> tell a friend. Hit me up in the comment section and DMs if you uh, want to be my new co-host. Foley's back. back. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. Where am I? He's about to get tossed by the dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you crying? <laughs> it's okay. Oh, he was about to get tossed by the... Zach. Big head blank stare guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay, so it was at this point where... Uh, you, I did. This is where I found out that you didn't know who Jonathan Banks was because mm-hmm. you never seen Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, uh, who plays Zach in this film. Yeah, and he and Foley fucking just tosses him. Mm-hmm. Tosses this professional killer like like he's string cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Foley sits down, head in hand, and threatens Victor, mm-hmm. and Victor threatens back. They're just going back and forth, and it's such a fucking good exchange. These people know who they are. They know what they're about. All cards on the table, basically. They know what's at stake. They know the rules that the other person sort of lives by. Mm-hmm. Police take Foley. As they take him away. Catch you later, Vic. I can't wait. Smooth. Like butter. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the Beverly Hills Police Department, he mocks Foster and McCabe. Why not? I really don't think that he likes them. I do think that he likes Rosewood and Taggart. Mm-hmm. And finally, Axel lets everyone in on why he's there. And that's when... Um, Bogomil? Bogomil's like um, coffee grounds, and he, it clicks. You said something about that before. What does that mean? Drugs are sometimes packed in coffee grounds. The scent throws off the dogs. I think that earned Foley's respect. Yeah. Because nobody knew, Mm-mm. and he did. He did. And I think it also earned Bogomil's respect. Mm-hmm. But then at that moment, uh, Chief Hubbard walks in. <laughs> With his mid-Atlantic accent? Yes. Chews L- Lieutenant's ass out. But uh, what he has in his hand is a rolled up script because they kept changing the lines. Is that right? Yeah. So he. That's funny. But they kept it in there because it made him. Seem more authoritative. Yeah. Like, I got it. I have a pa- Like I have this. Like, yeah. 
and it, and it worked, so they kept it. He's probably the character I liked the least. Yeah, he was very much like, I don't know, he was giving me like, he didn't really belong in there, but he was there to do his job. Yeah. But he only had like very few scenes. He, like that character itself, it just seemed like he didn't want any trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, yes, he did things by the book, but more so he just didn't want all the consequences and ramifications from it. Yeah. In this scene, when Bogomil's asking Foley, like, okay, then what, what do you think we should do? And he's like, Come on, guys. I know how we can get around. We don't get around search warrants in Beverly Hills. He's laying down his line. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, was it Chief Hubbard is the one that tells Bogomil to get him out. And that's when mm-hmm. uh, Bogomil goes and tells, uh, was it Rosewood, to drive him to city limits. Right. Because they don't want his trouble here. <laughs> no more. No, no more. Don't want his trouble around here. No, no more. No. God, we're terrible. I'm sorry, guys. This is the last time we're actually going to sing on this fucking podcast. You said no more. I just said no. Back at the arts dealer where Jenny works, mm-hmm. Maitland pops in on her. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he pops in on her often? I think so, because she wasn't really surprised that he was there. Mm. She had a little bit of fear on her face, though. Yeah, well, that's because... She uh, knows his involvement. Uh, yeah, and I think he... Uh, read her body language very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're a businessman like that, also you have Zach, who's a trained killer and, you know, professionally reads people's body language like that. He knows that she was lying. Mm-hmm. That's why he went up to her at the end and, and gave her a kiss. Yeah. Ooh, what a creepy German or Russian villain. I don't know. He gave me a little Russian. But, you know, he's his own. Really? You think he's, he's Russian? It looks like he was taking his time to me. <laughs> but I'm... T- <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not doing the rim shot. Okay, here it is. No. The reason, side note, the reason why I think he's Russian is because do you ever really hear of a German mob in movies? Mm-hmm. Exactly, Russian mob. Oh, there was one German mob. What was it called? Oh, the Nazis. Wow, Isaac. <laughs> He'll be here all night. <laughs> oh, God. Now we're back with Foley mm-hmm. and Billy in the car. I love their relationship. Um, I'm not sure, but in further movies, do they partner up? I don't remember. Because mm. you get their whole conversation with, once again. Uh. There go Foley and Billy, gonna solve the crime, and gonna kick some ass. Don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop. It's too much fun. Billy's easily swayed because he's a good guy, and he knows that Foley has enough evidence on Maitland to like go in and do something but he also knows that Bogum is going to kill him mm-hmm. because orders are orders and you got to do things by the book. And and Foley does respect the by the book part when it comes to Billy's well-being as far as job is his, as far as his job is concerned. Mm-hmm. Convinces Billy to take him to the warehouse. All they asked me to do was drive you out of town. Now I'm going to screw that up too. Billy, I love you. I just fell in love with you. And my bad, they, they don't drive to the warehouse, they drive to go pick up Jenny mm-hmm. at the arts. Uh, because they need her. Right. Here comes Serge. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Billy loves a little espresso with a lemon twist. Which, by the way, was made really fast, so... Of course it's going to be made very fast. Don't, don't be, be stupid. stupid. <laughs> Would you... Okay, if you were Axel Foley and... Jenny wanted to come along with you and go into the warehouse. Would you let her? I mean, she seems like a tough enough character. Does he know that he's not going to be able to fight her? 
Um, I think it would be more easier for him to use Jenny to go inside mm-hmm. because when Jenny has the keys and it seems like she may have once in a while go in there and yeah, not make it seem like there's um any suspicion to it of why she's there. Okay. So Billy Foley and Jenny are now in front of the warehouse. Foley tells Billy to stay in the car. Let him know if anything goes on. Billy's like, but I want to go help. He's like, you can't because it's your job. Probable cause. Yeah. So he has his back. Like he really does have his back. Mm-hmm. He's not going to use the detectives and risk their jobs, let alone their lives. Or this whole investigation because once he's in there without a warrant, it's just no, no. And so Jenny and Foley go in. They find the drugs. They finally find the drugs in the coffee grounds. Uh, and it looked to be like what, cocaine? Kick, yeah. Like <laughs> you were gonna say it. Go ahead. Cocaine. Cocaine. Uh, but it seems like it was a setup, and Maitland and his henchmen, including Zach, knew that they were gonna be there. <laughs> and it keeps cutting back and forth between like Billy wanted to go in, and he's like super stressed out, and and it's oh, in a way that only Judge Reinhold could do because he's like very sweet and like kind of dopey looking. Yeah, he's you like, know. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. Uh. But good thing he stayed in the car because he sees uh, Jenny getting kidnapped and he knows something's up. And once Jenny gets driven away by Maitland, um, does he get driven? No, by the henchman. Then he goes in to help out because Foley's in a real fucking pinch. That's when Zach tells Foley that he was the one that basically killed his buddy, Mikey. Just put it on record. It's a big head, big nose, blank stare guy. <laughs> Billy saves a day. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for Billy... I think Foley would have been dead and that Billy would have a lot of explaining to do. We cut to Beverly Hills PD and Tagger is kind of looming over the console with like a whoever runs the tracking the and whatever. Yeah. Again, like, oh, we have a satellite positioning or whatever. And Taggart's like, oh, is Billy doing something dumb again? Billy calls it in and lets him know that he's going to be doing something, mm-hmm. but he's not really going to give his location up. I think he even tells him like, it's just something I got to do. Yeah. And so they, they're at the Maitland mansion. Again, <laughs> song. going to the mansion right now. Do, 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 do. The mansion. Fuck me. This is with no coffee, okay? Foley's trying to pick the lock to the mm-hmm. side gate to the mansion. And still, Axel's trying to save Billy's job by lying to Taggart, which is completely, completely useless. But he's still trying to do it. It's more of like a reflex at this point. And Taggart begrudgingly helps out with a fucking shotgun. Hell yeah. Big guns. Mm-hmm. Security spots them on the fancy high-tech <laughs> security system. Not so fancy. They didn't go for color screens. I think that's as high-tech as you're going to get back in the, the 80s. Like, it was, it, to us, it's like really grainy in a small picture. But, like, for them back then, yeah. that's, that's the highest-tech shit. But I guess they... I don't, I don't know why they had to call Maitland to go check out the cameras. As opposed to just being like, we're security. Like, trust our word. Mm-hmm. Let's, like, act on this shit. Anyways, so uh, yeah, Foley's makes his way up the stairs or like sneaking around in broad daylight. Like you're going to fucking spot these guys. Tells them to go the other way. Yeah. And they. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole little. Which makes for a fucking great bit of Taggart. Taggart being the older, heavier guy trying to get hoisted up along the side railing. Why not throw Rosewood up Dude, there? Dude, he falls so hard. Oh my God. I don't even think there was like a crash pad or anything like that. Like, I don't know how old the actor was. John Ashton was. But that looked like a significantly hard hit. Even mm-hmm. if it's on the grass, that hurts. Quick cut back to the uh, Beverly Hills PD. It's now Bogomil that's uh, having the guy on the console track Taggart's car 
and it's at Maitland's mansion. So that's when he, you know, has all the backup sent over mm-hmm. there. But in the meantime, we're now back at the mansion and the baddies are having a fucking shootout because even though Taggart successfully makes it over the railing and, and uh, Rosewood needs help up, like good thing he's down there because bad guys in movies can't aim for shit. No. They have fully automatic machine guns and miss because the plot needed it to. The fuck am I doing here? <laughs> right? And our good guys have pistols and a shotgun. They're just stormtroopers. <laughs> That's the gear. I hate machine guns. But Billy is a good shot and like shoots a guy from like, I don't know, 50 yards away on a second story balcony. Oh, yeah. Good shot, Billy. Let's go. Credit, more credit to Foley. He's got some moves, does a cool flip down the stairs. Obviously, stuntman. They did want Eddie Murphy to do that stunt. Hmm. And it was a hard no. Oh. That's, even though it's like three or four steps, like, that's a fucking hard maneuver. Like a jump and a tumble and a roll. Billy, being the good cop he is, thinking he has power behind the badge, stands up and says, Police! You're all under arrest! To no avail, get shot at. Yeah, Taggart's like, really? (laughs) If you try that again. If you do that again, I'll shoot you myself. Now we're inside the mansion where Foley is, and Zach has a jump on him. And with a fucking shotgun, misses. Now, you and I both know about guns, as we mentioned in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Do you think he was firing with buckshot or slug? Hmm. Right? Because hmm. what a terrible shot. If yeah. it was buckshot, he would have hit him. Yeah. Or did the plot need it? I think the plot needed that. Oh, there's one thing that I, I, I did notice throughout the whole movie. I'm not sure if I'm bringing it up too soon or whatnot. Uh, is there's some scenes where certain characters don't have great trigger control? Yeah, I think that's that's just uh, the 80s and the 90s had a, a lot of that um, gun safety, gun control. Other than like, all right, don't shoot your foot off, even though like they they're firing blanks. You know, I think John Wick might be the more recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie that started that whole like let's make it a little bit more realistic because back then I, I think they sort of a, I think they abandoned a lot of that uh, actual technical gun safety mm-hmm. in order to look at a, lo- a little bit more flashy mm-hmm. but uh, uh, Eddie Murphy and Judge Reinhold they had great trigger control mm. that's what I noticed now remember in the very beginning when Foley enters his own apartment and I mentioned the whole like ambidextrous mm-hmm. with a gun. Well, it comes into play here. Although he doesn't land any hits, he still lays down some cover fire for himself by shooting around the corner with his, uh, his I guess, weaker hand. Mm-hmm. And we're back with Billy and Taggart. Billy mentions and mentions, and he's, he's loving this moment, by the way, because I don't think he's ever seen any action at all, let alone this level of action. And then <laughs> with the fucking huge Judge Reinhold grin on his face mentions. You know what I keep thinking about? You know the end of Butch Cassidy? Redford and Newman are almost out of ammunition. And the whole Bolivian army is out, out in front of this little hut. Billy, I'm going to make you pay for this. Police are still en route. It's three cops with handguns and a shotgun against a fucking army of people with machine guns who are still, thankfully, because a plot a lot needs it to, not 
landing any hits on these guys. I always have problems with that in movies, and I try to like suspend suspend my disbeliefs. I'd be happy if at least like you know some of these guys got a hit here or there, but whatever. Also, infinite ammo mm-hmm. activated, right? Always in movies. I was like, you should be done by now. Finally, Foley gets a drop on Zach. Blast, I think, two rounds in him. Three rounds, I forget. But Zach's finally down. Got the revenge for his buddy. And that Victor has a drop on Foley. Shoots mm-hmm. him in the arm. And has Jenny as... A shield. Yeah. And Foley's trying to do like a whole one arm, a one-handed reload. No matter if you're, no matter if you're ambidextrous, like a one-handed reload is really tough to do. It would also help if Foley had a holster, which is easier to to do a tactical one-handed reload. But whatever. This is Hollywood. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. He wants to hold it in his waistband without a fucking holster. You hang around here? Fuck no. <laughs> At this very moment, security is like, <laughs> we don't get paid enough for this shit, basically. We're not sticking around for this? <laughs> they fucking leave in the van, which end up going head first and causing a pile up in the, the front of the, the lawn of Maitland's what house. What did I say? Fender bender. <laughs> Bender, bender. Bender, bender. And Bogomil saves the day. Mm-hmm. Him jumping in behind Foley distracts Maitland enough to let Jenny punch him. She ducks down, and both Axel and Bogomil fucking unload on Victor. Oh my god, the way that this two tan mob guy <laughs> falls down the stairs. <laughs> It's like a um like a bouncy ball. <laughs> Just like do 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 do. So finally the police come and they back up uh, Taggart and and Rosewood. Bad guys surrender. Oh, and that. Billy being Billy tries it once again. Police! You're all under arrest. All the actions calm down. Everyone's getting patched up. What's his name? Chief Hubbard? Chief Hubbard's there, is asking... What's this man doing here? Bleeding, sir. I will say he does have some thick... Multiple C's thick. Glasses, glasses. are thick. Three C's. Elba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some fat fucking glasses. So chonky. Now remember, Bogomil plays everything by the book, but goes ahead and tells a very impressive, long and detailed... Story. His own super yeah. cop story. Well, sir... Miss Jeanette Summers, the manager of Mr. Maitland's art gallery, accidentally discovered large quantities of a substance she suspected was cocaine in the art gallery's warehouse. She immediately communicated her discovery to Detective Axel Foley of the Detroit Police Force. Detective Foley was at the time uh, cooperating in a joint Beverly Hills, Detroit investigation of narcotics trafficking. Detectives Foley and Rosewood, responding to Miss Summers' report, proceeded to the warehouse, where Rosewood did in fact discover approximately 80 kilos of cocaine. Rosewood immediately called for backup, and I dispatched our officers to this location. Sergeant Taggart here was the first to arrive at the scene. And having probable cause to believe a felony was in progress, Sergeant Taggart joined Rosewood with Detective Foley present only as an observer and proceeded to enter the grounds. And in the course of defending ourselves, we shot several suspects, including Mr. Maitland. Does Hubbard believe it? You expect me to believe that report? No, but he asked Taggart. Right, because before... When Axel was telling Supercop's story, Taggart had to be honest about it because mm-hmm. that's in his nature. But Bogomil, Taggart, and Rosewood got each other's backs. And so 
Taggart lies for Bogomil. Mm-hmm. No, whatever the lieutenant said goes. Whatever he said. Hubbard doesn't fight it, I guess, you know, because they're good guys. They're good they, cops. Why they would they lie? lie? Yeah. Expects a report in the morning. First thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, fucking Hubbard knows what's up because he, he does glance down at, at Axel. And he has a grin on his face mm-hmm. and he tries to quickly wipe it off. But he, he knows. Yeah. Foley does ask for one more favor of the lieutenant. And that's to talk to Inspector Todd to kind of clear things up with him. Because for fucking sure he's out of a job. No matter if he saved the day, Todd knows that that Axel's going to do a good job and actually like solve the crime. But there are rules to go by. There's the by the book. You can only do that so many times before you have to get fired. That's a giant liability issue. And of course, he agrees to be like, no worries. Like, I'll clear this up with Todd. Owes him that at least. Yeah. Because he's probably like, I don't want you back. I'm pretty sure if when when we watch part two that they'll show his transfer mm-hmm. to Beverly Hills. Pretty sure. Nearing the end of the movie now, and we're checking out of the hotel. And now Taggart and Billy are happy to see an escort Foley out of the hotel, cover his bill, mm-hmm. courtesy of uh, Beverly Hills Police Department. Foley being Foley. <laughs> Ask for two more ropes. $95. Is that right? Gives one to Billy. Billy's so happy with it. He takes it. Offers one to Taggart. Taggart says, no. Uh, it's your souvenir. Yeah. He goes, looks around. Don't worry. I got three in my bag. He takes it then. Because he's still a little bit of that thief in him. You mm-hmm. know, why not for fun? It ain't going to hurt nobody. But uh, when they're outside of the hotel, Foley's mm-hmm. like, let's go get a drink as a farewell drink. And by the way, Billy was like, uh, I don't think so, Axel. We're still on duty. Well, I don't think one beer's going to kill us, Billy. That's right. Listen to Taggart here, Rose. We'd lighten up, all right? One drink's not going to kill us. But guys, if you fall too far behind, don't be afraid to honk, okay? Where are we going, anyway? Don't worry about it. Just follow my lead. I know the perfect place. You guys will love it. Trust me. Freeze frame. <laughs> Which the director did not want to use. That was like the, the producers I wanted to do oh. that. And we did it. We saw Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. A little dance session here, why not? <laughs> Don't God tell me to us about dance session. How did you like this movie? I like rewatching it just because it, it kind of made me remember the actual order of the movie and mm-hmm. not like it being all weird and mismatched. Yeah. As it being your first time watching this, how did you like it? Man, I, okay, so like I said before, some people have an issue watching like an old, quote unquote older movie, you know, because it's like the technology, it's low tech everything, mm-hmm. or like we mentioned with like how uh, gun action is and shit like that. But I, I really thought that that it was, uh, was going to be a miss for me, even though I know this movie's a hit and sometimes they don't hold up. I think this movie fucking holds up a lot. And I I do think that this will be a movie that uh, I, I'm happy to rewatch. I, again, I can't wait to watch part two and part three. Part three, because it'll be me reliving being a kid and watch that movie. Oh, okay. You know, and I want to see him in his uh, his uh, his jacket. I can't his wait. Letterman, to, right? I think so. I'm not so sure. I'm not going to really answer for sure. I, I just want to see part two and three to see if I remember I watched those because I knew I watched the first one. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I watched the first one, but my mind is very blurry on two and three. Okay, so I know sometimes when I I don't really know if I watched the movie or not. Once I watch it, 
or start watching it, I'm like, no, no, no. I remember. We, yes. de- we definitely set ourselves up on the show for a couple of sequels. I think we have Kill Bill Volume 2 to watch. Mm-hmm. We have the remainder of the Insidiouses. Insidious franchise. And then Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. If I'm missing one, my bad, but. I know Lord of the Rings is coming oh, up. God, I didn't want to mention it. Mm-mm. Anywho, back to Beverly Hills Cop. Now it's your turn to guess the Rotten Tomato score. Uh, scores being from 0 to 160 being fresh. Um, what was your personal score? Oh. And then I'll get what you thought the critic score, what you thought the audience score was. Okay. Personal was 77. Okay. Okay. Critics was 80. I gave it an 80. Okay. I think I went a little too high, but it's okay. And audience, I think I gave it a 78. Well, 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 Alva. I've been teaching you well because you're pretty goddamn close. I am? Pretty goddamn oh, close. Okay. okay. So the, uh, the, uh, the excuse me, the critic score was 83 and the audience score was 82. Whoa. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, yeah, I think that that hits, that feels exactly where it needs to be, mm-hmm. you know? I gave it a 77 just because uh, I, th- I think as I was rewatching, I'm just like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's some of those 80s things where you go, okay, I'm just going to suspend it. disbelief. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, no, no problem. But it's still within a very high, high 70s. 100%. And, yeah. and I can, after watching this, I totally can see if I were a producer immediately green lighting a, par- a part two, two, a sequel. Yeah. And it's not bad for it being an hour 45 movie. It didn't feel like it was. No, quick watch, quick fun mm-hmm. watch. So before we close this episode out, any other uh, fun facts we might have uh, left off? Yes. The soundtrack to this movie won a Grammy. Hell yeah. Uh, it was the third highest R-rated grossing movie with The Exorcist and Godfather. So I did find that similar fun fact. It's third only because if you account for inflation, then those other ones would have beat it out. Mm-hmm. Without it, it would be the uh, highest grossing R-rated film until Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Mm. Ah. ah, but that's with the inflation, right? That's without the inflation. Oh, without? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is the first film to be released to over 2,000 theaters in the U.S. Oh, and it's the first of seven Eddie Murphy films in a row to open at number one in the box office. That's outstanding. That's phenomenal. That is very phenomenal. Did you know in 20... (laughs) The excitement. Good job, Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Pat on the back. (laughs) Did you know in 2013 there was a sitcom in the works with CBS, but it failed? And I think this has to do with like the part four part of it. Ah, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I'll have to look into that a little bit bit more. If anybody knows more about that, drop some details in the comments. Oh, I had the timeline. Yeah, because in 2019, that's when Netflix picked it up. Because prior to 2013, that's when Paramount, it became... Oh, like public domain? Yeah, there you go, public domain. And then 2019, that's when uh, Netflix decided to create the fourth film. 2022 is when they got the director... Uh, 2023, the teaser trailer, which I never watched. Again, especially in regards to an Eddie Murphy sequel coming to America, mm-hmm. it wasn't that great. It tried to hit a lot of those, like essentially, like lightning in a bottle moments. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you can recapture. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. I'm still gonna watch it. I'll do a review on it uh, when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, another fun fact: Did you know that the original idea for this movie came from a speeding ticket? I did not. I didn't know who. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was the director or one of the writers or anything that got that idea or whatever. Or mostly the writers because the director was very wishy-washy throughout True. the whole yeah. thing. Uh, I don't know who it was, but originally came from a speeding ticket. That's how a lot of these ideas uh, come about. Not from speeding tickets, but just like real life 
things. That's all the fun facts with Alva today. <laughs> all right. That is just about it. Um, any last words about it? Any closing words? Mm-mm. All right. No well, closing words. Let's wrap this up. Thank you for listening to another episode of You Haven't Seen That. Thank you for your patience again with the recent hiatus. We will be keeping our episodes uh, bi-weekly, right? Every other week. Just kind of works with our schedule and making sure that we pump out some quality podcasts. In the meantime, tell us what you thought about this movie in the comment section or in the DMs on Instagram at Forehead Films. F-O-R-E-H-E-D Films. Uh, the reviews I have out now are going to be F- Ferrari. Good movie. Mm-hmm. The Killer. Fantastic movie. Um, and a couple of other ones I'm still kind of working on. Guys, it's been a blast. Elva? Yes, Isaac. I love you. I'm happy that we get to do this together. I love you too. Can't wait for more future episodes. Yeah. I ruined it at the end, didn't I? You did. With some sappiness. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving it in. Okay. All right, guys. Well, in the meantime, let us know about movies that you haven't seen that are on your growing list of movies that have people asking you the question, you, you haven't, haven't seen, seen that? that? Later, guys. Bye.